Hello. Welcome to another Sermon Question and Answer podcast. Sitting here with Pastor Sean and Pastor Joey. Um, and we're going to discuss some questions that we got from the sermon uh, last week on Noah and how Noah was um, found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was blameless and righteous and walked with God and how that pointed to the true and better Noah and Jesus Christ who perfectly um, fulfilled the law and um, we look to him for our righteousness and we don't try to earn it ourselves. So how could there be any questions? I feel like that's pretty much covers it. it. That's it. You just All right, that's it. it. What? Thank how you guys did I go so in. long? You summarized it in just a few seconds. It's a Twitter generation. You got to 140 characters. characters. That's right. Okay. Is it 44? Is it 140? 148. I don't know. I don't have a Twitter. Joey. I don't either. Pastor Joey does, I bet. He I does. do. He's a tweeter. That's it. Tweet, tweeting twits. Let's do this. All right. Let's jump right into the questions. First one here is, um, you mentioned in your sermon talking about having an eternal perspective, and that's what Noah had as he was building the ark. He had faith in things unseen. Um, so how do we live out a tension, the tension of having an eternal perspective and wanting to see um, change or transformation in, our, in the world around us? Um, are these ideas opposed to each other, or do they work together? Uh, I think they're... I think what I'm trying to teach Coastal through the years, of course, I talk about this frequently, is the idea that um, we flip-flop it. Let's, let's do earthly things for eternal gain as opposed to the other way around. I think... We're not fueled enough by eternal eternal thinking. Um, so, uh, so yes, eternal thinking is is not being so heavenly minded. We don't do any earthly good, right? I mean, that's kind of the common phrase. I think it's quite the opposite. We're we would do more earthly good if we thought more eternally, and it should certainly be the fuel to, um, you know. Bringing you know the Lord's prayer, I guess you know your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, um, so that's you know the church. So up is to be lifting up Christ, and the overflow of Christ is is things like in you know hearts beat for things that God's heart beats for, and it hurts for things that God's heart hurts for. So things like injustice, the church should be on the front end of stamping out injustices and um, and bringing heaven to earth, if you will. So. I don't know if that answers the question, but I think it's a, yeah, it's a kind of an eschatological perspective. It, that's what fuels your good works now is we know that our eternity is a sure thing. Hope isn't like hope the way non-believers or pagan worshipers would use that word. Hope is sure. Our eternity uh because of Christ and the deposit of the Holy Spirit that Ephesians chapter 1 says is the guarantee of our inheritance until the day that we acquire possession of it, our hope is certain and confident, and we look forward to that. We see the early church do that anytime you see persecution, and you see the apostles writing letters. They're saying, in the midst of this persecution, think on think on what's to come. This is temporary. Have this eternal perspective, and that fueled their perseverance in the here and now, and so um, and certainly the same uh, thing is true for us. Um, we should have this eternal perspective, knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in us, is persevering us. That should fuel our perseverance in our profession. That should fuel our perseverance in trials and tribulations. And that should motivate us toward good works, toward 
um, having this mindset, um, the way Jesus teaches us to pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, having that eternal mindset helps to fuel that passion we should have to see um, people acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ in all the nations. Yeah, I, I, First Corinthians 15 always comes to my mind. I, it's the, it's the, for me, it's one of the linchpin passages of our doctrine, and it's the resurrection of Christ is the linchpin to everything, you know, and his bodily resurrection. And, of course, Paul ends the passage with the, the very well-known phrase that we sing a lot in our songs, and, you know, if I, if I was pe- preaching passionately, we'd probably stand up and start applauding, but Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And in verse 56, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives us a power, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he finishes this argument of the resurrection of Christ, how it gives us victory over death, uh, which is the result of sin. Uh, Christ has now defeated that. And then the practical application is in verse 58, where he says, which, you know, I don't know what I would make the practical application, but Paul makes it this. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I just find that a fascinating conclusion to this yeah. great doctrine of the resurrection. And I think the point is because Jesus overcome the grave, we have an eternal we have eternal life. We have an eternal future. And so therefore, the stuff we do here on earth to honor the Lord and worship, the, to honor our gifting and our passions and to grow in sanctification, all of that has this eternal reward attached to it. And so we need to think more about eternity. And and that should fuel our behavior and our worship and our our serving here on earth. So that's good. It was I was even thinking as you were speaking the uh I mean we're doing a in the summer we're going through the book of First Corinthians. Right. And a large part of First Corinthians we're reading is Paul rebuking this church that's being influenced by the world. Um and I find it interesting that at the very beginning in chapter 1, in verse 2, he addresses this letter, this rebuke, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So before he even gets into this um, series of rebukes, corrections, and encouragements. He's reminding them of their sure position in Christ, this eternal perspective that right. they should have before he even gets into that stuff. And because he knows, and it should be our model, that that's what you have to have in mind. That's what you need to internalize and think on before any of the other right. stuff can even come. Yeah, it's great. I think it's freeing too because it's not a yeah that it doesn't depend on us. It's Christ has determined this to be the case from the beginning of time, and we just get to play a part in in that plan. And but we don't have to worry about being the plan being successful because God declared that it will be successful. And I think you know, going back to the sermon that you preached, Pastor Joey, on marriage. You know, when you challenged you know the men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So if you're in a difficult spot, maybe <clears throat> your love is not being reciprocated and well, guess what? You should be eternally minded. The Lord sees. The Lord rewards. I can die to self, and as part of my sanctification to worship the Lord, I can love this person unconditionally because I've been loved unconditionally. And so, 
we know there's a heavenly reward to that, and um, and we should be eternally minded. And so, God has called me to die to self for seventy years, you know, and and, and then I'll have forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to reap whatever the inheritance of Christ is. So yeah, that seventy years. I mean, you say that often is it's a vapor. You use that rope illustration. The, oh, don't make me get the rope out. To get the rope out, but I, when don't we fall think short he, in yeah. a podcast. Yeah. But try to visualize a rope. Try to visualize it. The no, but uh, when you're eternally minded, you realize that the time that we have here pales in comparison right. to the glorification um, that we receive. Our bodies receive in Christ for all eternity. Um, so if we're suffering now, it's a, it's a vapor. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean you don't cling to Christ daily, but it's a vapor, and it has eternal reward, benefit. Great. Um, well, the, the next question kind of ties into this. You mean so, that? Fantastic. Gold. Um, where you said in your sermon, left to ourselves, we'll, we'll pursue sin every time. Um, so when it comes to our sanctification, what role do we have to play in that alongside um and I think you can qualify that. And I'm trying to remember, too, the context. Yeah. Well, the, I probably maybe didn't qualify it well, so let me qualify it here. I mean, that's unregenerate man right. yeah. left to themselves, yes. Romans 1. I do know I said Romans 1, so I maybe didn't uh, bracket it well. Um, but, yeah, unregenerate man will choose sin, sin every time. And um, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit converting our hearts that we will... You know, choose for God and choose righteousness. So, what was the, and then which I guess lends itself to the back end of the question: the tension of pursuing sanctification and it not being, not viewing it as a works-based type right. of salvation. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know. I know there's a lot of debate about Romans seven. I I think Romans seven is the practice of the Christian. You know that we're freed up to struggle, and it, so it gives me hope that you know we, we do live in some tensions of you know the Holy Ghost lives inside of us. So it should be producing Christ likeness, but yet it's real Baptist of you. I, Holy, Holy Ghost. Ghost. I, don't I don't even know if I've that. ever heard you say Holy yeah. Ghost. I, I do say that. The mic's on. I don't know. <laughs> is this live? Um, is this on? Holy Ghost. Yes, uh, Holy Ghost revival. Like I'm in a tent revival. Mm. So keep going. Well, we sang that old hymn this week from Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts. We wrote in the 1700s there or you something. Go. So I bet he used Holy Ghost. But um, Holy Spirit. Um, is in us, and and so yeah, there is a, a tension inside of us. First John tells us we say we don't have sin, we're lying, and so um, we're freed to struggle, I guess, as Christians, free to wrestle, and um, and I do think we do have the freedom uh, because of God, His grace, and His Spirit, and His Word to choose righteousness and holiness. But it doesn't mean we always do. Would you say? Because um, I've been thinking oh, about boy. this even recently. Here the, we go. As a Christian, uh, I'll, I'll just speak personally to me, like discerning the own motives of my heart. So prior to Christ, I choose sin every time, as you as you say. Um, now the Holy Spirit living in me, and the the old man dying me, kind of coming into recognizing my new nature in Christ more and more as I grow. Now there's this this side of eternity. There's always. Uh, there, there is virtue in my actions, but there's also always vice in my actions, and so now I have the sprinkling of the two, and some, and so the. From I always thought you did everything with purity of motives. With purity of motives, and so I, I, I guess would it be helpful for us 
and again, you can correct my thinking if I'm wrong, but uh, it, it helps me to discern it. Not that I'm trying to always overanalyze myself, but I do think it's profitable, profitable to recognize even this side of eternity with the Holy Spirit living in us, even our pure motives are tainted by the sin nature that we still have. Uh, and so, so yes, I'm doing this for the Lord, but there can also be this piece of me that's also doing it for my good reputation or doing it because I want people to, to think that I have the answers or to come to me with their issue. Like there's vice there as well. There's both of those. And so if I, as a believer, I'm asking myself the question, is my motives pure in the, do I want, am I wanting to honor the Lord in this decision or this action? Or is this about me? Maybe the answer is Yes. Like to to both of the yes, there's this desire that I want to do this to honor the Lord, but there's also this old man that's still trying to bubble up inside of me, and and those two get get mixed at times. Um, this side of eternity, which may be a distinguishing feature of, we don't need to look at this side of eternity. Sometimes I think we have this temptation of falling off one side of the. Uh, into the ditch and, and being this legalistic works based, I'm uh, just a load of garbage all the time type person. I'm going to earn my salvation, even though we wouldn't confess that as a confession. We would confess the gospel, live practically as if we're earning our salvation. We try to course correct and we fall on the other side of the ditch and we try to act as if we're already in our glorified bodies. Um, and, and so, what what is different about our glorified bodies? than our bodies right now. And I think we can say multiple things, both physical and spiritual, but I think I think one of those things could be that there will no longer be vice in our virtue. It'll just strictly be virtue. Right. I think that's, for me, is one of the hopes of glory, you know, is to be, you know, Paul says, who can free me from this body of death? Yeah. You know, I think in Romans 7 again, that, you know, that's like as you grow in Christ and you want to be free from vice, you know, like, man, it would be great every moment of your life to be sin-free yeah. and and to live that way, and, and that day's coming. That's a great hope, you know. It's a really, you know, it makes me, there's probably, besides seeing my Savior face-to-face, that, for me, is one of the great hopes of heaven, is to be free from my own sin nature. Yeah. Like, man, that, I can't even get my head around how great that will be and how free freeing that will be to live every moment of every day to bring glory to God and to serve others freely, you know, will be amazing. To really know what it feels like to genuinely love someone else mm-hmm. without any other thing attached yeah. to it or genuinely worship God without any other thing mm-hmm. attached to it. I think one of the things that... Um, you know, and, and there's probably a lot of vocations, but in ministry as a vocational pastor that I had to learn, and it's still a learning process, and I know you'll testify to this too, Joey, is that there are times when you're leading a church that you, you just can't defend your own name, and you have to be okay with, it is not about my name. I just, you have to make a decision, elite, you know, you, elders make a decision that you support or whatever. You're leading a church, and a decision's made, and you know, like, this is going to ruffle some feathers, and I, I can't defend my own name. It's going to look like I was self-motivated or whatever. And so that's been a part of my sanctification. It's been beneficial. You know, I really leaned into the Psalms. David a lot of times talks about not defending his own name and leaving it up to the Lord. And so 
that those moments, and, and I'm sure even our small group leaders will have those moments. Maybe they got to deal with a tough thing in their small group or something, and someone misinterprets what they say. And and those are those moments, I think, that we can grow in our sanctification and go, you know what, as best I can tell in my motives, they were pure, I was trying to do the right thing, and I'll leave the defending of my name to the Lord. It's not for me to defend. And those moments probably have helped grow me as much as anything, and they're hurtful, and they're challenging, and... I think they can be real purifying. Like, man, especially when you have that tough decision that you really have to search your motives. Like, is this really the right decision for the gospel, for the church, whatever? And um, you know that it'll come across wrong, you know, skewed to, in some people's minds. So, yeah, I just had a meeting this morning where I was talking about. I think that a seat that you sit in in ministry is you, you do have to kind of be okay with being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. But I, I think. It, I mean, the Lord's done it in your life. He is constantly doing it in my life. Is he? That's almost like this practical, tangible means of grace that he mm-hmm. gives to root out the f- idol of the fear of man in my right. heart. You yeah. know, that that's something. And that's who so was more, more misunderstood than Christ? Right. Yeah. I mean, he's perfect. He never did anything wrong, and you know, he was so misunderstood. And so, if 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 our Savior was misunderstood, why? I mean, Jesus says that. Yeah. The sinless Savior was misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sinful, sinful yeah. ministry leaders are and definitely. So those, so those moments where the heat is turned up, and again, I think our small group leaders will have those moments in their lives too. That, like those are the moments that actually are beneficial to sifting your motives and going. I think this is the right decision, regardless of how it makes me look. And the, those for me are sanctifying moments in the process. So that's good. Anyway, okay. Um, and just the last question um, is regarding uh, Genesis 6, verses 6 and 7, where it talks about the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Um, and you, you touched on it in your sermon a little bit. We talked about that this is, God is using anthropomorphic language to talk about Define this. Define that. Um, it's like um, Indiana Jones, That's, <laughs> right? Archaeology. Um, but how does that? How do you reconcile that passage of scripture um, with the rest of yeah. the Bible, where it talks about God's character is unchanging, it's unchanging. And he doesn't. He has a plan. He had a plan from eternity past to eternity future. Because it would be terrifying if we had a God that could change his mind, right? So yeah. we have to rest in his character. So uh, I'm going to actually let Joey speak this a lot. I, I would say this. This is where. Um, we have to have a good systematic too uh, on how we approach the scripture, a good hermeneutic. Um, and so for me, the clear path, so we, you know, the hermeneutic I use when I interpret the scripture is let the clear passage of scripture interpret for us the unclear passages. And so the the bulk of the hermeneutic of Genesis, really Genesis 3 to, I guess, you're preaching in a couple weeks. Um, Genesis 11. All the way to Genesis 11 is this unfolding of sin, and and that's what's happening here, okay? is the, the, That's the, the bigger theme of these passages. We're not delving into the character of God, so we have to take the passage of Scripture that talked to us about the character of God and let that trump this use of language where the language is giving us handles to help us understand what God is doing, Um so anthropomorphic language is the idea of it's it's giving us man-centered language to help us understand what God is God's doing. God's condescending to us. Condescending to our, yeah, which in some regard, I guess all of language would be a condescension of God to us. Yep, for sure. Um, so, 
But but this is also an area I know, Pastor Joey, you've put a ton of thought into, so I'm going to let you speak to this, too. And you I mean, gave me a great resource. You texted me in the middle of sermon, or middle, after the first service with a great book that I wish I'd ha- we'd had in the notes. So. Yeah, so, I mean, a great a great resource that um, that has influenced my thinking heavily and, and helped me to organize my thoughts around this um, is called... God without passions, and it's um, it's a, a it, it, God without passions, a primer. So there's a God without passions book that's extremely long and thick, but this is a primer, and it's very helpful. 120 pages. Samuel Renahan is the author of it, and so uh, even some of the stuff I'm, I'll say here in just a second is is uh, I'm borrowing from some of his language. But for me, coming across those passages, and there's other passages in the scripture we were talking about it a moment ago, but, uh, you know, God regretted that he had made Saul king, and um, and you, you see things like Abraham praying, interceding, God, cha- cha- you see ch- change of mind language that's used about God, um, but specifically the bluntness of this passage here in Genesis chapter 6, uh, that's, ter- that's a, if we really do apply our minds to what some people may walk away thinking that's terrifying. And so for me, I read these passages and this is my just personal testimony. It was a crisis of faith for me with if God regrets that equals God makes mistakes, which equals God's not all knowing, which equals God's taken by surprise, which equals God's reactive based off of man's actions, which means I can't have confidence in God because God sounds a whole lot like me which means what am I doing? Let me sleep in on Sunday morning or what? And, and so it, it was a crisis of faith for me bringing all of that to its logical conclusion. Other passages of scripture, Numbers twenty three nineteen in particular, I'll read it really quickly. Um, <clears throat> it says, uh, um, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So now I have two passages of Scripture. If we're taking that Genesis chapter 6, and we're taking that Numbers 23 passages that seem as if they're in conflict with one another. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I believe the Bible is God's Word. He spoke it into existence. It's living. It's active. It does not contain contradictions. That's my presupposition coming to the text. Therefore, I know these aren't contradicting. These harmonize with one another. I, kn- I know that. So, so how do they harmonize one? Uh, how, how do we harmonize these two passages? And, and it goes to what you just said a minute ago. We need to um, look at texts uh, of Scripture whose aim, when it's the author's aim to communicate something to us about the character of God, they need to be in a... Um, a primary role to passages of Scripture that are communicating an action that God's doing. And so in Genesis chapter 6, we see um, when it says that he had regretted making man, what then happens? That means man was existing all throughout the world, and now God is flooding the world and destroying man. And so God was doing A, now he's doing B. And that outworking wasn't in response to man's disobedience. It was something that he decreed to do before the foundation of the world. And so it wasn't responsive. It wasn't reactive. God's not made up of he's loving one minute, and then all of a sudden he's wrathful. He's all of his attributes all the time. That's the significance of 
I am who I am, or God, God just is. He's not young. He's not old. He's not growing in wisdom. He is all the time, constantly. And our temptation is to take our feelings and our, when we hear the word regret, we're automatically thinking remorse, mistake. What the author's aim is to communicate to us, God is about to do something. And so that's what we need to get to. And this is the earthy language that he's using to tell us that he's about to do something. And we do that in our conversation. And so if I were to say, Josh, uh, his nose looks like Pinocchio. Everybody knows that your nose isn't growing long, but everybody knows that I'm calling you a liar at that point. Like it, and so, we, you, and so it, it, it's helpful for me to think of it like that. Like there's this language that's being used to communicate a truth regarding an action that God has done, and I should not take it any further to attribute that to this is God's character, because God's character is that he's unchanging. He's not, um, even when we see that his anger, texts that talk about his anger being king, it doesn't mean he's flying off at the handle. He's all his attributes all the time, and so he doesn't, he's not made up of parts and passions the way that we are. He's a spirit, and he is consistent and righteous and he's not reactive or responsive, um, responsive based off of our actions. Now, why is that important, right? So we, the beginning piece, I was talking about the danger of if, if we're just taking God regretted and we're taking that as logical logical conclusion, um, then that, that's scary. But why is it important for us that God is without parts and passions? Why is it important that he's unchangeable? Uh, the reason why... I believe, is found in, in Malachi. Um, and it's Malachi 3 here. Yeah, 3, 6. And it says this, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's, that's huge. I can have confidence in my salvation because the God who authored it from the very beginning isn't going to change his mind or regret that he saved me. And he saved me when I was unlovely, when I was uh, a broken, depraved, not choosing anything but sin. And he's going to persevere my faith until the day that I acquire possession of it because of the Holy Spirit living in me. And so uh, a proper understanding of what theologians call the doctrine of God, it has huge implications for how we worship and what we believe. And, and so... We need to see the practicality of really thinking through passages of Scripture like this and understanding the author's intent behind it and making sure that we don't have an inaccurate picture of God. Um, so I don't know if that's... Would you say part of it is God dealing appropriately with human behavior in the sense that man's wicked, Yep. God wipes him out. Yep. Man repents, and God in quotation mark, changes his mind to in response to that repentance. Yep. I would just say all of that he's decreed to do right. in eternity right. past. But it's right. all it's all that but condescending man, language. But God God flooding the world in in uh, setting apart Noah and his family. Sean's going to talk about it this week, just setting them right. apart for himself. God was completely righteous and just to flood the entire world. And we even see his wrath in 
being poured out via the flood and his love and compassion and grace and mercy being poured out on Noah and his yeah. family simultaneously. You yeah. see that happening equally Which at was the same time. from eternity past. Eternity past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To which, I, you know, I one of the things that I've taught from the front, but I think this is where the rubber meets the road, is that the the greatest thing that God can do is bring glory to his own character, right? Yep. And so and so we have to be able to see because we we probably can't comprehend God as all of his character at all the time. We have to see see it in sections, right? So we see his judgment and we have to understand that um we will I think when we get to eternity future, we will look at the just judgment and justice of God and we will glorify him for that. You know, and I think we even know a touch of that here on earth when there's ju- corrective justice, that there's a huge injustice in, here on earth, and suddenly could be, you know, through the law, could be through sentencing or whatever, that we go, oh, that's the right thing. That was such an injustice that it deserved punishment. We also uh, know when that there's injustice, right. when a crime doesn't get right. the right punishment. Right. So that's the law of God written on our hearts yeah. right. that it's we all try to suppress. Correct. Yeah. correct. And so, so... Even now, here on earth, in a sinful state, we understand the beauty of judgment and justice, right? That there is a place for that. And so, so take the, the, the flood as a microcosm, you know, and again, I, I said it's, I believe the flood is literal. However, I also think it's metaphorical to the great judgment of God and the salvation in Christ. And we're going to sit there and we'll go, we'll be wow, we will glorify God for all of his character, his judgment, his mercy, his love. And we live in a culture that only highlights his love, grace, and mercy, you know. And, um, you know, there's a—I'm probably going to get in trouble with this. There's a song on the radio right now that is very popular that says, Grace Wins Every Time. And I like some of that piece of that song. I understand what the author's saying. But it doesn't capture all of God's character, you know, that— God's character wins all the time. And so if there's judgment and wrath to that, it, it, we have to be more holistic in our thinking. And we can't divvy his character up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God is love. Mm-hmm. God is grace. Mm-hmm. God is justice. God is holy. Yeah. He's all of those things. All the time. All the time. And so and so in the flood we see that. I mean, we see his judgment and we he gets glory for his judgment, and we see his love and his compassion, his salvation. He gets glory for that as well, and um, and I and I think we'll we will worship God, and we will get to know that about God through all eternity future, and what God is doing as He reveals eternity to us. And one of the I think one of the most glorious statements in Scripture is God is not like man. That's everything yeah everything. yeah so good question though that was a great question i don't know who sent that in but excellent question did you send that in josh was that you maybe you're making faces that aren't captured here on the podcast uh, i don't have a that's just the way his face looks why you gotta go there <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you guys for being here and um taking the well time they're not here day. are you talking to us you oh i thought you yes. were talking to the and listeners. i was about to thank the listeners oh. for listening and taking the time to listen, and hopefully this has answered some questions you might have about the sermon and prepare you You go into your small group discussion this week. Um, as always, please email any questions you have from Sunday Sermon to sermonquestions at gocoastal.org. Thanks, guys. Thanks.